friends, me, Pete Phillips. And me, Marissa Phillips, we're not related. We uh, repeat that we're not related. <laughs> and then we talk about things that we have, you know, uh, recently discovered or learned about or things that we know from our wide breadth of experience here on the planet Earth. And we tell it to you because we think that it's going to enrich your life and make you a better deeper, more connected person with the earth. <laughs> I think Pete didn't <laughs> like me making fun of him last time, so he decided to lengthen his already lengthy uh, introduction to what the show is. I decided to yeah. lay it on thick, yeah. I'll top that. We tell you everything you didn't need to... No. <laughs> everything. <laughs> we tell you things you didn't know... You needed to know, or in other words, we give you a wealth of knowledge to bestow upon your colleagues when they are experiencing a drought of information so you can germinate their knowledge base and bring them to the next level of enlightenment. That's our podcast. I'm very impressed. I expected the word celestial midway for some reason, uh, and, but then losing. when you when you got to the end there, what what was it? Something towards the end was close to celestial. So, all the points to you. Thank you. You win. This is a contest. <laughs> we would like to tell you up front instead of telling you on the ass end of the show like we always do. Maybe you want to go ahead on iTunes and review us. Uh, because we would love to get enough reviews that we can display a rating. It seems that you have to actually perhaps write something when you leave a review. So if you have to write something at all, you might want to take a side on the topics that we're talking about today, or you might want to go into last episode and uh, write in your favorite mermaid so that we can know who that is. Yeah, you can always write in your favorite mermaid no matter when. Also, you should review us so I feel better about my life. Yeah. Because this um, is, you know, it's 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 not going well, guys. It's not. <laughs> also, I feel like, so I work, I'm a writer. Uh, you know, not to brag. But <laughs> I write eight hours. And I don't really talk that much. And as I'm talking, first of all, my voice sounds foreign to me. And second of all, I feel like I sound drunk. But you know what? I was going to point that out, that since we have started this podcast, Marissa has actually medically not been allowed to drink. Yeah. So, I'm so she has never, ever been intoxicated on this show. <laughs> but I sound drunker and drunker as time goes on. You can also call us at 570-POD-WAD-1. That's 570-P-O-D-W-A-D, number one. You can leave us a voicemail that we would be happy to incorporate into the show. Or you could also send us a text that we would also be happy to incorporate into the show. Visit our site, too, yallheard.me. That's yallheard.me. And uh, on there, we have a link to a Patreon account. If you know you just have money to burn, you can certainly send it our way. One of the options that you can send in is for $20, we will endorse a product, service, or event that you have coming up. And uh, 
if you're like a Coke dealer, we're not going to do that, okay? That's, that's uh, written. Speak for yourself. Contact me privately. <laughs> I'll promote anything. My icebreaker that I made up while you were talking yes. was, explain to me, do not tell me one that exists. I want a fresh new concept. Explain to me your ideal dream cocktail. What would be in it and what would it look like? You know the icebreaker goes two ways, right? Yep. Okay. So. Oh, no, I didn't. <laughs> what? <laughs> Just because you have enough time articulating the question. So I wasn't sure if you'd be able to answer it in a moment. <laughs> oh, I'll be ready. Listen, I know you said it can't exist already. Fine. What? What? No, no, no. This isn't necessarily. Uh, look, I had this no. once. I had this. Like... I'm sorry. Let me just interject. Not that it can't exist already, but like add something to an already existing one to like really make it your ideal dream one. Well, here's the point that I wanted to make. It's not really a like. It's not like a oh, give me a Tom Collins. Like then I would have to be like oh, Tom Collins, but with a banana in it. Like I'm not gonna do anything like that. But at <laughs> <laughs> I hope you asked for that. I didn't know that was going to hit you so hard. <laughs> but at Area Bar, Barton Irby's, there used to be a bartender who worked there, and her name was Jen, and she made this drink, and it was called Jen's Purple Popsicle. And what they did was they made put a bunch of fruity booze in it with some juices and stuff, and then they shot some 7-Up in there or something, and then they put an actual popsicle in the drink, and today, I would never touch that, but I remember having three of them back in the day, and they were delicious, and I probably still have weight on my body from drinking them. <laughs> Why would you never touch that today? Uh, because of all the sugar in it. I would look at it and go, yeah. I'm, 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 it's just going to go right to my tummy, and I'm never going to get those calories off. That's my that's my inner monologue, if, in case okay. anybody was wondering. All right. I'll take it. I mean, I was hoping it at least had a banana in it. <laughs> But, sure. A Tom Collins with a banana sounds disgusting, by the way. <laughs> it's gin-based, and uh, gin with most things is not great. Oh, it's gin oh and, I love gin. It's gin and sour mix. So gin oh. and sour mix plus banana. That sounds beautiful. <laughs> On the rocks. My dream drink is just the driest martini possible. It doesn't even need flavoring. While we're on the topic, what's up with dry? Why do you like dry? Now that I can't drink, when I do drink, I just want it to burn. <laughs> All right. Sorry. I, I took you off the path from adding spe something special to it. Okay. I just want the driest martini ever with three toothpicks. One of them has a brownie shaped like a bat on it. Is that in the drink? It hovers above the drink. No, good, good, good. Yeah. Because I'm about to tell you the three things. Know that they don't touch the drink. Okay. And they don't touch each other. So one of them has <laughs> a toothpick with a bat shaped brownie. One of them has a black, a green, and a calamari olive on it. And one of them has a tiny um, gluten-free <laughs> a tiny gluten-free grilled cheese on it. Is the brownie also, is the bat-shaped brownie also gluten-free? Oh, yeah, I'm sorry, it's gluten-free. Okay. And then it also has, a, I have a tiny shot glass of tomato juice as a chaser. So it's kind of an experience, more than a cocktail, but that's my dream. I have to ask you the question that every listener is wondering. Uh, what is the order of that experience, or is it choose your own adventure? It, I'd eat it in the order that I said it, 
drink brownie olive sandwich chaser. Okay. Well, guys, today I'm here to talk about the Flintstones. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What's your transition? Um, Marissa and I are going to cover two classic, I guess, characters, we'll say. Because the Flintstones came from TV, as far as I know. They were not comics first or anything like that. But the thing that I wanted to talk about today was the Flintstones comic book that came out in 2016. It may have been the the end of 2015, too. I'm not really sure. I tried to do research, but, you know, I'm not great. So, God bless you. Hiccup. Sorry. <laughs> uh, I, I would also like to warn the listener that we have recorded this episode once before and it didn't work. So <laughs> if we sound yeah. angry at certain parts, it's probably because we're channeling that. <laughs> yeah. And don't be surprised if I say something shocking and Marissa's not shocked because she's already heard it before. <laughs> yeah. So once upon a time, I was driving in the car listening to NPR, the quiz show Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. They were interviewing Josh Homme of Queens of the Stone Age. And the thing is, they always come up with cute questions they ask their celebrity guests. Since he's from Queens of the Stone Age, they thought they'd ask questions about the Flintstones. That is where I learned that the a draft of the original live-action Flintstones movie, the one with John Candy and Rosie O'Donnell, actually included a parallel of the Grapes of Wrath. It was supposed to be... Not that it was supposed to be, but the original, the, one of the drafts was written as a, yeah, a sort of semi-comedic drama. Um, the guy who wrote it says, I don't even remember it that well, but Fred and Barney leave their town during a terrible depression to go across the country or whatever that damn prehistoric thing is looking for jobs. Uh, that's Mitch Markowitz, who, again, was one of the early writers of the movie. He said they wind up in trailer parks trying to keep their families together. They exhibit moments of heroism and poignancy. Which, you know, what are you going to do? <laughs> if one phrase sums up the grapes of wrath, it's, what are you going to do? <laughs> one of the things that actually comes out of the Flintstones comic book remix, remix reboot. The Flintstones came out from DC Comics is that it is... Uh, thing that it, where where the characters exhibit moments of heroism and poignancy. Although I will say that Barney is really downplayed in this, and I was uh, upset that he didn't have more, a bigger part because I kind of liked, you know, Barney in the cartoon more. So when DC buys the Hanna Barbera like stuff and starts this imprint, they have a lot of source material to work with. And they go, "What do you do with the Flintstones? Right? Do you do something that's true to the original?" where you put in some funny jokes. Like, the Flintstones started based off of the Honeymooners, right? And so... Funny jokes? Don't go crazy. <laughs> so, if you're going to make a comic book based off of the Honeymooners, that sounds really dumb to me. And abusive. Very true. Um, so, <laughs> by today's standards, you don't want to do that. Uh, they took twists on pretty much all the things that they brought Back. There's Future Quest, which brings in uh, characters like Johnny Quest and Space Ghost. There's Scooby Apocalypse, which takes the Scooby-Doo gang and puts them in the apocalypse. And then there's Wacky Raceland, which reimagines a race-oriented show uh, into Mad Max. 
and then you have the Flintstones. So again, do you make something like the original Flintstones? Marissa, how would you classify the original Flintstones? A, a mild comedy. That's... I, I wholeheartedly agree with you. Okay. <laughs> because that's the thing. I remember seeing the Flintstones as a kid. I don't remember loving the Flintstones as a kid. They never made me laugh. Then they had all those vitamins, that. right? Oh, those tasted like trash. <laughs> Spoken from a lady who's eating a lot of trash. <laughs> <laughs> Truth. <laughs> the Flintstones spoke to me the most because of that. Here's the thing. When you reboot something, you run the risk of pissing off the traditionalists, but also attracting new a new audience if you make it different. But if you yeah. stick to the original, then you're not going to piss off the traditionalists, but you run the risk of not getting a new gang back because people are like, well, I could just watch the original. It's not going to live up to the original, so why even waste my time? The thing that spoke to me about the, the Flintstones reboot is that I don't need to see Scooby-Doo at the end of the world. I've seen Scooby-Doo. I'm done with Scooby-Doo. I don't know enough about the Flintstones to be upset if they make this crazy. And the big focus on the Flintstones comic is society, culture, and existential dread. <laughs> so I'm ready for that because I kind of live in the Flintstones comic book right now. Okay. The whole thing takes place in prehistoric times. So they do make the regular sight gags and obvious jokes that seem to emerge in the cartoon. Uh, things that I remember from then, like, you know, if uh, a bird is a dishwasher and it's like, this tastes soapy. Ha 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 You know, stuff like that. But... <laughs> Um, that tried and true joke. Word. This day soapy. That's going to be our new tagline. <laughs> um, beneath all of that stuff, though, there's something that's deeper about the human condition. And it's startling how they comment on today by using those particular jokes. It's easy to sort of look back and do that. Like, they have an issue dedicated to marriage and monogamy. What they do is they try to take the contemporary idea of gay marriage and parallel it with this, let's do air quotes, this new idea of pairing off in marriage. So the idea is they had sex caves in prehistoric times, and people are like, why are you guys pairing off and getting married? And do being... they show that? No. <laughs> and, okay. And being monogamous when the sex cave is where it's at. And they're just like, well, we want a deeper connection and you know that sort of stuff. So it's actually pretty interesting uh, and again, they sort of parallel that concept with the concept of gay marriage today and how people are not really accepting or anything like that. However, you do end up with really poignant panels uh, like this one in which Fred Flintstone admits uh, to the priest who's running this marriage retreat. He said, Fred, what worries you? And he says that Wilma will stop loving me. Marriage is like insurance. You only enter into a lifetime commitment because you're afraid of the future. But does being married mean she will love me forever? Or is it just my attempt to keep her from finding someone better? Is marriage really a sacred bond or just the illusion of security? And then a bird types in, this is like <laughs> so. No, then the priest uh, makes a side joke about how there's zip lines at the um, marriage <laughs> retreat. And then he goes, marriages can be rocky, but you just gotta chisel away at them. <laughs> There's this other part, too, where uh, Fred and Barney are part of the, oh my gosh, I can't remember what they're called. 
But basically, they fought in a prehistoric war. The idea being that they were civilized people who were fighting against, let's you know, let's say cavemen. I mean, they are cavemen, but you know, maybe let's go with Neanderthals or something. Um, so they fought in a war. Now this is post-war, and they have lives and they have goods and everything like that. Um, except they have um, at their at their weekly meeting, one of the guys is missing. And they go, that reminds me, have you guys seen Joe lately? I'm worried about him. And then they cut to Joe sitting all alone in a room. And he picks up the phone and he says, I think I need help. And the phone says, you've reached the veteran suicide hotline. Please hold. And then he says, okay, but this hold better be pretty damn good. I'll tell you, he dies by the end of this issue. Spoiler alert. From suicide? Actually, no, he gets zapped by aliens. Because (laughs) the Great Kazoo is also... In the Flintstones reboot, let me get let me get to that a little bit later. Let's call that a teaser. <laughs> All so right. What they do is they uh, approach class issues, aging, treatment of veterans, religion, immigration, technology, uh, human nature, and existentialism. And sometimes, yeah, you have to stop and just sort of take a breath and think about what you just read. So nihilistic hipsters love the crap out of this because it took something that was originally just sort of like very shallow and it made it very, very deep. Um, And that was pretty appealing to me as well, uh, despite the fact that some of the visual gags are a little annoying and and also some of the existential dread stuff is pretty obvious, like, you know, tried and true territory. The other thing, though, is that it sort of does... It spends a lot of time posing questions about why we behave the way that we do today. A lot of times we do things because we were raised to do them or we saw our parents do them, that sort of thing. And what this tries to do is step back. And if we make us cavemen doing it for the first time, it seems like we're a little more removed and we can face those questions a little bit more objectively. I'm sorry. (laughs) Like that idea of getting married, right? Not everybody loved this. There's a review on Amazon of volume two of this particular collection by a guy named N.Y. Sockboy. Okay. I hope it's supposed to be like Nye Sockboy and Nye Sock is some <laughs> sort of video game term, but it's okay. N-Y-S-O-C-B-O-Y. He gives it a one out of five stars. Uh, he calls, the subject of his review is Fred Flintstone's unbearable agony of being. He says, the Flintstones was a humorous cartoon. I expect a graphic adaptation of the series to be humorous as well, not ponderous, soul-destroying agony. You'd think we were reading Sartre or Sam Beckett. I was almost able to ignore the frequent deaths, the savagery, the insults of people of faith, and the existential existential angst. What was he not able to ignore? I believe what he's trying to say is that was what happened in volume one. Oh. Uh, He says the second volume was unreadable. Death, agony, horror, angst, agony, horror again. (laughs) The second half deals with the fact that in volume one, in one of the issues in volume one, aliens find Earth, and they're so unimpressed with it that they just leave. But okay. then the aliens' kids come to Earth, and they start shooting people. They basically use it as like a spring break pad, and um, they start partying and killing people and everything like that. Well, Pebbles, of, of course, goes to find the scientist, and the scientist contacts the aliens, and the aliens come, the alien parents come back, clean up their kids, and they and the Earthlings are kind of like that's it. Like you killed a bunch of people, you wrecked a bunch of stuff. You're just gonna take your kids and get out of here. And they yeah. go, you know what we're gonna do? We're gonna leave somebody behind. He's gonna keep an eye on you guys. But why does anyone need? Oh, to protect them? 
I guess to help in some ways because of alien technology or something. But okay. he, they kind of give the Great Gazoo a bit of a, a an elbow jab, and they go, "Listen, buddy, find out if these people are worth keeping around, because it seems like they're a bunch of morons." Okay. So the whole entire second half is the Great Gazoo learning about the human experience to determine whether or not humans should keep evolving. Yeah. Um, spoiler alert: He lets us live. <laughs> okay. Which is how we got here today. <laughs> But um, yeah, it, it was. It's very. Inter- it's a very interesting read, and it's very dark. And I think um, intellectual people that I know would probably not buy into it because it's the Flintstones, and uh, uh, you know, like other people who like the Flintstones probably wouldn't buy into it because it's not the Flintstones. So yeah. it's very interesting. I think the art is really good. I think the writing is really heavy, and I think the saddest thing in Volume One is the vacuum cleaner who sits in a closet all day. Oh, I don't like what you tell me about this. When they when they uh, talk to DC about putting this comic together, the writer Steve Pugh uh, discussed with them the possibility of how one of the one of the best gags from the cartoon is when the appliances would talk because they're animals, and DC was like, no, none of that shit, okay. But Steve Pugh, the writer, Aww. wanted to stay true to that because it was such an important part of the cartoon. Yeah. He wanted to have it, but they didn't want say when the when the dishwasher goes this tastes soapy <laughs> they didn't want Wilma to hear that and understand it and speak back and say pipe down that's your job or something like that is um, that what she does in the show no no <laughs> <laughs> shut up <laughs> but, shut the um, hell up but the thing is these appliances can speak to one another so when the family's not around then the appliances can speak to one another. So in one in one issue, they go on vacation and they leave the vacuum cleaner, who is a freaking adorable pink elephant. They just Aww. leave it in the closet all alone. So all the appliances are talking and having a good time chit-chatting, and they hear a voice come from the, from the closet. And I don't think I'm going to be able to find it right now, but it's so sad. Basically, the vacuum cleaner is like, I, I don't have any friends. I'm in this closet all day. Uh, and, you know, he kind of begs the other appliances to be his friend. So it's mostly sad because it's such an adorable elephant. <laughs> but I thought then he gets a friend. Yeah, I guess so. I don't think it's a real friend, though. I'll let you know oh. if anything develops uh, from that in Volume 2. I haven't gotten to read it. I mostly wanted to skim it for details for today. Um, but details is certainly the wrong word <laughs> for what I got out of it. What I discovered the most that made me the happiest after doing all of this research is that the writer of this particular piece is releasing a new collection, I believe this month, and it is a limited series, 12-issue version of Snagglepuss. Ta-ra-ra-boom-de-ay, ta-ra-ra-boom-de-ay. Oh, what a joyful day to frolic and play. Exit, stage right. Yeah, that sounds amazing. In which Snagglepuss is a gay southern gothic playwright in 1953. So it will not take place in contemporary times, just like the Flintstones didn't. It'll be 1953, and he will be playing, yeah, a southern gothic playwright, uh, almost Capote-esque, as they try to put this together. He already had to face the House Committee on Un-American Activities for being a gay southern gothic playwright. When Pete first told me this, I was like, Snagglepuss is gay? And then I was like, (laughs) Yes, that was one of the conversations that we had, because... Snagglepuss has this goofy voice. But I never thought that that goofy voice meant that he was gay. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) 
This particular piece is supposed to focus on a lot of politicism and cultural inequalities that we face today, thanks to our god-awful president. And so, it sounds really interesting, and I'm probably going to pre-order that. Cool. Again, if they were going to make a revamp of the live action, who would you cast as Fred Flintstone? I would cast Benicio Del Toro. You're an idiot. (laughs) (laughs) Wilma. It'd be beautiful. But edit out me saying Wilma, because it didn't sound like it at all. I think if I was trying to sell tickets, uh, this is a hard one. Can I come back at the end of mine, yours? Mine, after the end of mine, sure. Okay. So when I did this the last time, I mostly just focused on the uh, origins of Archie Comics. But this time I decided to do more of a comparison. So, whether or not you've seen the show yourself, chances are you have seen Riverdale. Is a hot new teen show. Uh, and a lot of people seem to not know that it is based on the Archie comic books. And I was very surprised to know that a lot of people don't even know what the Archie comic is. And I'm amazed Ooh. because it's an American institution. Damn right. And so I wanted to talk a little bit about the Archie comic and how it compares to Riverdale. Um, Idris Elba. Her- <laughs> You're stupid. <laughs> I want Fred Flintstone to be played by Idris Elba. And then, is Wilma going to be black, or is it going to be an interracial couple? I don't know. You didn't ask me that. Fine. Okay. No, uh, I actually thought of Idris Elba as a joke. Matt Damon. Okay. Fat Matt Damon. Fat Damon? Anyway, that Sorry. was me. I just completely interjected. Okay. I, I, I actually shouted Idris Elba because I thought he's the complete opposite of what a Fred Flintstone character should be. Not because okay. he's black, Marissa, but because he's attractive Yeah, too late. And Everyone lean. went there. Everyone <laughs> went there. All right. So, Pete, what do you know about Archie? I know Archie is a ginger. I know everybody loves him for some unknown reason. I know he's, uh, his, his penis belongs to Veronica, but his heart belongs to Betty. Oh, goodness. I know he's got a dumb friend named Jughead who wears a goofy hat that I hope you, I hope you explain to us. Um, I know they hang out at Pop's... Pops, uh, soda shop. Chocolate shop. Chocolate shop. Spelled C-H-O-K-L-I-T. Chocolate Cool. It's pretty solid. Because Pete, like... I know he doesn't have parents. He has parents? What the hell are you talking? Stop talking. Stop talking. His dad is Dagwood from the other comics. Okay. Everything's So, Archie is the name of both a comic book and a publishing house. Uh, Archie Comics is an American comic book publisher in New York and is founded in 1939, originally under the name MLJ Comics. The publisher published a large number of different comic titles, even like superhero comics and things. In the 30s and 40s, it had something called Pep Comics, which was an anthology of different types of stories. And that is where Archie first appeared. And in 1942, Archie got his own comic book. The Archie comic itself has had endless offshoots. Um, Like, there's like one canonical storyline. But through the years, there have been like side stories where Archie has fought zombies. Archie has met the Punisher. Um, there's even a story arc where he dies trying to prevent a hate crime. I want to focus on the core flagship title where it all began. 
So P kind of touched upon some of this. Archie is known to be a wholesome, family-friendly comic about a love triangle between Archie, Betty, and Veronica. It features a cute redheaded teen named Archie Andrews and his two love interests, along with his friend Jughead. And they embark on a bunch of silly, frivolous adventures that involve, like, going on dates, going to school, who's going to ask who to the school dance. Or sometimes it delves into deeper issues, like the one time that Jughead became a street punk and Archie had to save him. That was really weird. Really Archie's weird always the hero, though. Yeah, Archie's always the hero. So, <laughs> Riverdale is the live-action show currently airing on the CW based on this comic book. The concept of Riverdale, it basically starts off, it tells the story of teens who live in that city, Riverdale, and all the horrifying things that happen after the high school student named Jason Blossom is found dead in a river. The main characters remain Archie, his best friend Jughead, Betty and Veronica, and Cheryl Blossom, who is the twin sister of the boy who died. (laughs) And unlike the comic book, The show deals with sex, murder, (laughs) statutory rape, serial killers, drug dealing and drug addiction, gangs, and my favorite, uh, implications of twins. So, from here, I wanted to talk about comic characters versus Riverdale characters. Yes. Guys, this is so much better than the last time she did this. (laughs) I had no focus last time. (laughs) Anyway, so, comic book Archie. Pete, what's comic book Archie like? He's so freaking sweet. He's like a, he's just like a normal shaped kid. Uh, He wears like jeans and he usually wears like some varsity jacket sort of stuff, you know. He's got like normal clothes. He's, yeah, he's got freckles and red hair and he's always smiling. So I told you, Archie came about like in the 30s and the 40s. So he was apparently based on a character from an and, uh, a series of movies called Andy Hardy, starring Mickey Rooney. Um, but the comic book Archie is scrawny and uncoordinated, and he is an average-looking guy from a middle-class middle class family who is a real goody-two-shoes, and he's overall well-mannered, and he always has good intentions. He's best friends with Jughead, and he seems to never have had sex with anybody. That ain't it in Riverdale, guys. Give people a little kiss here and there. Goes on dates. It's very clean. Riverdale Archie. Riverdale Archie bones his teacher. Hey! Don't ruin... Don't... Spoiler alert, bitch! That's the pilot, isn't it? If you're gonna watch one episode, you're probably gonna start at the beginning and you're gonna be like, oh my god, he boned his teacher. (laughs) Riverdale Archie is a buff football player who sleeps with his music teacher. He creates really emo acoustic music. Oh, it's the worst. Yeah. And he's estranged from his childhood friend, best friend Jughead. Something went down. Despite the fact that he sleeps with his teacher, uh, sometimes he takes uppers. And he once got a gun from the black market to try and kill someone. Besides all those things, he's generally considered good, pure of heart. <laughs> and he's super smooth, super coordinated, and super tough. So really the only thing he has in common with the comic book is that they're both considered pure of heart. And um, that they both have red hair. <laughs> All right, Betty. Who what's comic book Betty like? Comic book Betty is the blonde. Um, she's like, you say pure of heart uh, about Archie. Uh, pure of heart really mo- mostly applies more to to Betty. 
because Archie in the comics is oh, like, you're right. he's like an accidental D-bag to her. Like, he's mean to her, but he's not mean on purpose. He's just yeah. like, oh, yeah, like, they're having a good conversation. Then Veronica walks by, and he's like, yoink. And then he just kind of, like, loses focus and, and moves over to her. Betty uh, never gets seems to get mad about it. She seems to be momentarily jealous from time to time, but she always seems to come back to old Arch. Betty is a kind-hearted girl next door who is a little bit of a tomboy and a huge pushover. She always runs back to Archie, even though he continuously picks Veronica over her. And she has blonde hair, always in a ponytail. She's like the all-American girl. Riverdale Betty uh-uh. is the all-American girl on the outside. Blonde hair and a ponytail, dress is very pristine and perfect. But she actually appears to have split personality disorder and or dissociative disorder. And she has a second personality that is dark and evil, a.k.a. Dark Betty. One time I ruined an episode of Riverdale for Marissa. I'm going to Stop it. Stop it. No, no, no. <laughs> I'm not going to say what happened. But Marissa goes, oh, that sounds like Dark Betty. And I'm like, that, that's not a real thing, right? <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes Dark Betty comes out to play. Um, so in the show, when Archie rejects her, instead of just continuously running back to him, she starts dating Jughead. And just randomly to note, she once pole danced in an episode to the song Mad World. Veronica, in a nutshell, what's Veronica like? All right, so Veronica is very materialistic. Uh, she's yeah. dark haired. She's got a little dog sometimes. Yes, does she? she I, I think the message that we're supposed to get is that she takes Archie for granted. Archie's sort of just like a, another piece of clothes that she's wearing or something. But yeah, I. I I guess we're supposed to believe she's, like, the prettiest girl in Riverdale, too. Ooh, um, I already have that. Are you when, quoting me from last time I did this? Uh, no, no. Okay. <laughs> Veronica um, is a vain, often selfish frenemy of Betty. They're both friends, but they're always battling for Archie. She's materialistic and spoiled, but periodically she's kind-hearted. Periodically. And she's considered one of the most beautiful girls in Riverdale. They're loaded, too, right? Her family. Yeah, oh, yeah. I'm sorry. She's exceptionally rich. She's probably... One of, if not the most uh, rich family in Riverdale. <clears throat> Riverdale, the show, Veronica, uh, is a reformed mean girl. So she used to be Miss Thang, who was a total bitch, but she learned her lesson. And she also happens to be Hispanic, unlike in the comic book <laughs> where she's white. And she's from a Hispanic crime family. Because you know us brown people are always evil. Always up in that crime. <laughs> <laughs> she's besties with Betty instead of frenemies. And she is kind and helps everyone in Riverdale. And she wears a lot of capes. And she says a lot of weird statements that sound like they belong in the show Gilmore Girls. Two more characters. All right. Jughead Jones. Jughead's Just, such a tool. Yeah. In the comics, he's like, oh, there goes Jughead again. Jughead could never get Betty in the comics. You keep spoiling things before I... Oh, I just did dating. <laughs> I was going to kill you. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah. You, you made a yeah, point. Yeah, I just did. That's what... Yeah. So, but like, yeah. No, never going to happen in the comics. Yeah, Betty's no. not that stupid. She's sweet, but she's not like stupid. <laughs> well, not only is it because he's like boring and lazy, but in the comics, Jughead explicitly says he's asexual. So Jughead doesn't even like girls in the comics. He is Archie's best friend who is lazy, sarcastic, and obsessed with nothing but food. Food is way more important than women to him. He always wears a crown on his head, which is said to be 
a hat kind of hat worn by men in the 1930s and 40s. If you'd like to see an example of it in real life, the character Goober Pyle in the Annie Griffith show wears it. It's like this felt, like, Burger King crown. But bear in mind that the comic started in the late 30s, yeah. early 40s. So he never lost it. Riverdale show Jughead. His weird felt hat has been replaced with a crown beanie. He's dating Betty. He's also poor and homeless at times. He's a cynical, sarcastic writer who joins a motorcycle gang that his father is the leader of. And he's constantly telling people how weird he is. If you want to see just some dumb thing, just Google Jughead Weird, and you'll hear his monologue about how weird he is. And it's really funny. The most redeeming part of uh, Jughead in the show is that his dad is Skeet Ulrich. (laughs) Yeah, oh man. And Archie's dad is... um... Luke Perry. Okay, last one. I bet you don't know like anything about her. What do you know about Cheryl Blossom? I was reminded of her existence when I watched an episode of Riverdale. I was like, who is this lady? And then I was like, oh, she's... Because we're such a stupid culture, uh, we have the blonde and we have the brunette, so of course we need a redhead. I feel like what the redhead does is it goes... Well, again, from our uh, pea brains, we go, oh, well, the redhead belongs with the redhead. So Archie... And this woman should yeah. be together. But yeah, that's pretty much all that I remember about her. Um, yeah. So yeah, Cheryl Blossom is Jason Blossom's twin. They're two redheaded twins. Right. And she is introduced as Archie's love interest from out of town. Actually, shortly, a few years after she was in the comic books, she disappeared um, because parents considered her to be too sexual. But then she came back to the comics a few years later again. She comes from an exceptionally wealthy family, enough so that she's, like, Veronica's main competition. And she's loved by Riverdale boys and hated by all Riverdale girls. And if you hear, I don't have much to say about her personality because she doesn't have she's just like a rich bitch. There's not that much depth to Cheryl Blossom in the main comic book arc. There is if you go to the offshoots, but in the main comic arc, she's just someone to make Betty and Veronica angry. Riverdale, Cheryl Blossom is, like, at the core. She is the... Short of the villain, she is the most evil person in that show. Like, she is one of the main characters that is continuously evil. She is the twin, like I said, of Jason Blossom. Jason Blossom, who is brutally murdered by his own father. And uh, it's insinuated... That's a spoiler. Well, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) It's insinuated that her and her brother might be a thing. And she's basically evil incarnate. And she comes from an abusive family that used to deal drugs. And I think she may or may not be a witch. We'll have to see. So are they, they also wealthy? They were, but uh, in the comic they're wealthy. In the show they were wealthy until her father's drug ring was exposed and they lost all their money. Archie Comics are an American institution. But I would con- I would compare Archie Comics to like Saved by the Bell. Well, I would compare the Riverdale show to... Late Night Cinemax. <laughs> No! <laughs> Gossip Girl meets Twin Peaks or something. I've never watched Twin Peaks because people kept saying <laughs> But were I to guess, I would say it's just like Twin Peaks. Personally, I would recommend them both, but they have almost nothing in common with one another. Yeah. But I basically, I basically wanted to do this episode so that anyone who has not read the comics but sees Riverdale kind of knows where it comes from. And anyone that knows about Archie Comics might want to be like, whoa, look at this crazy twist that they did on this comic. So, I mean, you may not know about both of them, 
But I'm sure you at least know that one of them exists. So just kind of want to put that out there, guys. So, Marissa, you're Archie's mom. And Archie comes to you and he goes, man, there's like, like, just Betty's really great. Veronica's really great. Mom, what do I do? Who should I be with? You can't say follow your heart. You actually have to tell him a person. Am I going with comic book or, or, or... Whatever you want. Comic book would be Betty. Um, show would be Veronica because Betty's unhinged. <laughs> That's a good answer. Yeah. Yeah. How about you? I was thinking from the perspective of like, gosh, yeah, like your your life's gonna be so much easier if you go with Veronica because she's freaking loaded. <laughs> yeah, but. But you're gonna lose love, and isn't that yeah. really what it's supposed to represent to all of us? That you should follow your heart instead of materialistic things. But then at the same time, is it that Veronica just doesn't deserve love just because she has money? Maybe he could help her be a better person. That's actually what happened in the show. He says, I love you. And she's like, I can't do it. And then she's like, you're so full of good. I want that good in my life. I love you, Ugh. too. I thought she was going to want the good in something else. I want the good in me. <laughs> Give me the good. Okay, so... I paid attention through all that, and I hope that everybody believes me, because I participated. I think I did really well with some of those questions. I really dropped it on the Why are you trying to prove that you paid attention to me? But here we are. The Rock is going to be Fred Flintstone. Okay. Wilma just has to be Christina Hendricks. I'm going to make Hugh Jackman play the role of Barney, and Marissa Tomei is going to be... Why is she so old Betty. and everyone else is not so old? <laughs> Marissa Tomei? Yeah. Hugh Jackman's pretty old. He looks pretty old to me. But you're I right, The Rock is way too young to be in this. I want Benicio Del Toro, Christina Hendricks is Betty. Oh, I'm sorry, no, no, I'm sorry. Benicio Del Toro is Fred, Christina Hendricks is Wilma, Woody Harrelson is Barney. Beautiful. And the chick from Mad Men and Handmaid's Tale is Betty. <laughs> Elizabeth Moss. Yeah, Elizabeth Boss is Betty. Very nice. You and win. I, want, I just um, don't think that Benicio Del Toro could gel with that gang. Benicio Del Toro is so versatile. He's Puerto Rico's shining star, Pete. I'm not doubting that he's a very talented actor. I just, I guess, have not seen his comic chops, again, aside from Heineken commercials. <laughs> I don't remember those, but... Also, I want... <coughs> Who's that guy from Difficult People, the really tiny person who's like, woo! I don't know how to say woo. his last name, but is it Cole Escola? Yeah, I want him to be the, the pink elephant. You want him to be the vacuum cleaner? Yeah. There's a really bad sucking joke that I'm not gonna make. Oh okay, yeah, I want him to be that. So, this concludes another episode of Y'all Heard, Y'all Heard. the podcast. Let's recap. You can follow me on Instagram at courtship of veneer or at risk vandal. Oh, you know what? One of the best things for you to do is to go to our website, y'all me. That's y'all me. <laughs> <laughs> and on there, on the uh, right side of the page, if you scroll down a little bit, there's a link to our Patreon and a link to all the things that we talk about on a regular basis, like sports card truths, courtship of veneer, risk vandal, uh, sandwich portraits, Pete abides, all the stuff that we do. 
Let's so, tell him to go there from now on. That'll be easier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's going to be much easier for us. Uh, so definitely check that out, and definitely tune in next week. Thanks for all your support. Keep listening. We appreciate it. Bye, buddy. Bye. Next week, can I do ASMR? Yeah, hi. Hi.